you want to take your uh, Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Judges in the Old Testament. If you're visiting with us, you picked a, a good Sunday to come. Uh, we are beginning a brand new study, and our study is going to be through the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And uh, for those of you who attend on a regular basis, you'll remember our last book study was in the book of Ephesians. And that was six chapters and took us almost a year. Judges has 21. Buckle up. We may be here a while. <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, we're, we are going to, Lord willing, in the days ahead, take a look at uh, this book study. And um, anyways... Uh, I hope that if you are visiting, you will consider being back with us on a consistent basis. I want to start today, and mainly this morning's message is going to focus on background information. It's very important that when you study the Word of God, uh, I always encourage people, don't just jump right in. Um, do some background study. Find out, who's this being written to? Who's it written about? What's going on during this time that this is pinned down? Uh, understanding some of the uh, significance of cultural practices, stuff like this. This will enhance uh, your Bible study time. It will also help you to understand uh, some of the things that apply for that time period and what things are applicable for us today. Now, God's truth is relevant. I don't care what anybody else may say, it's as relevant today as it was when it was penned. It's not an outdated book. It's the Word of God. Now, some of you may question, though, as you begin to read Judges, and I want everyone, uh, this is our homework assignment in the days ahead, I want you to spend some time reading Judges. And as you read through the book of Judges, some questions may come up because not exactly the uh, book most people go to to uh, give Christians practical living in the way of uh, how to be a moral person. Think of Samson, you know, uh, just as an example. Uh, you know, most of you, even if you're not familiar with the book, uh, you've heard the stories of Samson and Delilah. Now we're going to hear what the Scriptures have to say about this. But as you look at some of the different characters, some questions may be raised as to, huh, are these really the best examples for you and for me to model our lives after? Well, think about Gideon. What's up, Gideon? Can't you just take God at His word? No, Gideon's got to put a fleece out a couple of times, right? None of us ever do that, by the way, do we? <laughs> You know what I like about Judges? As we go through it, I think you're going to find this out. They're a lot like us. These people, guess what? They have problems, struggles. They're not perfect. Newsflash, neither are we. What I hope this book will do is you look into the lives of some of the characters that we will uh, magnify, if you will, that in their imperfection, what it will do, and what I believe the book's written down for, is so that our Savior can be magnified even higher. Because of our imperfections, we're in desperate need of perfection. 
And so as we study the book of Judges, I hope and pray that it will draw our hearts and minds to our Lord and Savior. That He'll be lifted up. That He'll be exalted through the pages of this study. So keep that in mind as, as we uh, go through this. Let me give you some background. Now, Judges takes place after the conquest of the Israelites. Joshua follows in the Scriptures right after Joshua. Joshua's conquest of the land of Canaan. Now, you know the story, the exodus uh, from Egypt. Moses leading the people out. Moses passes away. Joshua uh, eventually takes over. You, you find them um, uh, crossing the river, and, and, a, and, and that's sort of where Joshua leaves us. They have just come into the land of Canaan. This is where Judges sort of picks up. Now the people, God's people, are in the land, the promised land. They've arrived. Victory is ours. But as you'll see through the book of Judges, that victory wasn't claimed. In fact, they begin to not heed God's word. Some of the people that should have been destroyed if they would have followed God's command weren't destroyed. Therefore, they become a thorn in their side from that time forward. You'll find other situations that happen in the book of Judges that that should make you question, again, why? If only God's people would have obeyed. Uh, MacArthur says that that Judges is is a tragic sequel to Joshua. Joshua has been described as picturing obedience to God, conquering the land. Judges, disobedience to God, idolatry, and defeat. So they're somewhat contrasting in that sense. What about the name Judges? Where does that come from? The name Judges. It's a Hebrew word, and Judges, in this book as we read, it refers to leaders God gave to His people to deliver them from their enemies. In fact, it can also be translated deliverers. It could also be translated saviors. So why is that? One thing you're going to find in this book as we go through it and study it, that God is going to raise up certain individuals. And... By the way, it's a thematic study, it's not a chronological study. Okay, So the sequence that's laid out in it, don't expect it to be in a time order, ABC. doesn't unfold that way on the pages. But as you study this, you're going to find uh, some, some things are going to rise to the surface. First off, these people just don't seem to get it. We keep finding ourselves back at square one, it seems. And yet, even though, in spite of our shortfallings, in spite of God's people's shortfallings in the book of Judges, God still brings to them a deliverer, a savior, if you will, in the sense of a leader. 
But again, the whole time pointing us to the ultimate Savior, the ultimate leader, God Himself. In fact, in Judges, you're going to find there are 14 leaders, actually 12 in the book, uh, from the time of Joshua's conquest coming into the land. The first leader, shortly after that, uh, rises up. And then all the way through to the end of the book of Judges, and, and it actually takes us through, if you're looking at it in a chronological time order, up until the time of Eli, Samuel, are the last two of the Judges giving a total of 14 in all. Leaders. Uh, The last two, very contrasting. Uh, One being a good example, one of them not being a good example. And again, we'll get into this. We're going to break down and look at the individual leaders. Look Look at these stories in their context. So, what about these 14 leaders? Again, their, their time span is, is from Joshua to eventually the establishment of a king. I think it's interesting because in Judges, that seems to be the one thing that continually is lacking. Where's the leader? Therefore, God provides, God provides, God provides. How about the theme? What's this book about? Well, let's sum it up. Everybody turn to Judges 17. Everyone look in Judges, chapter 17. Mark your spot there, and then I want you to also, while you hold that spot, go to Judges, chapter 21. Mark those two spots with your fingers. You'll find this phrase throughout Judges, but here's two significant places where it's mentioned. You want to know what Judges is about? Here it is. Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You'll notice how the book ends. Chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You want to know what Judges is about? It's about everyone doing what they thought was right. You know why I think Judges is applicable today? Because I think most people today are doing what they think is right in their own eyes. It doesn't matter if it's what God says is right. Let me explain. My own testimony, my own life. For years, 25 years of my life, this is the way it sort of went. Yeah, I don't know about the Bible. That's a good book. God's Word, mm, I wouldn't say that. By the way, where did I come up with these thoughts? Eh, Conversations with friends. Which, by the way, were no theologians. My beer buddies, if you'll be honest with you. And so they had a great insight, didn't they? And most of those conversations typically were centered around, 
you know, a few Budweiser's. Never know why they call it that. Never made anyone smarter, I promise. But, you know, that was, hey, well, Jesus, eh, good guy. Good guy, had some good teachings. No one ever raised the point in my discussions, yeah, if he was such a good guy, why was he lying? Good guys don't lie, do they? I mean, really, if somebody lies to you, you can, <laughs> that's a good guy. Hey, hey, that fella there, he's a good guy. He just lied to me. Got to love him. No. Good guys don't lie. Jesus claimed to be God. Hmm. Either he's telling the truth, and he is who he claimed to be, or he's lying. Can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. These are conversations, you know, amongst friends. We're breaking the law, the law that God had given us. Have no other gods before me, right? The first one. How about this? No graven images. You see, what I was beginning to do was I was beginning to make an image in my own mind of what I thought God was like. I didn't like the God of the Scripture, so I began to make a God for my own liking. Idolatry. And that's what people are doing. I would venture to say that even some people in this church, even some good believers can do that. Certain areas, I don't like what the Bible teaches. So instead of actually digging in to find out if it's true or not, I create with my own understanding what I think it means. You see, everyone was doing what they understood was right in their own eyes. People today are are doing that. Well, I don't think a loving God does this. Or I don't think Jesus would... I don't think... I really don't care what you think. And hopefully you shouldn't really care what I think. But we all should care what God thinks. Because He's the one who's created us. He's the one who's given us life. He's the reason we're here this morning. So I want to know what He says. I want to know what He thinks. The theme of judges you'll find throughout people forsaking, thus saith the Lord, beginning to incorporate into their belief system other practices. Much like us. Much like Christians today. Most like the family of God today. We're watering down what we say we believe. I think as we go through Judges, God is going to deal with us. And I think we'll find ourselves at a crossroad, as, as I'm finding even in my own studies, in my own walk, that God often brings us to. You really want to follow? It's going to get tough. It's not an easy road to take up your cross. It's not easy to die to self. 
they hated me, they're going to hate you. These are teachings of the scriptures. That everyone's doing what seems right in their own eyes. Turn with me over to uh, Judges chapter 2. I'm going to summarize this this morning, the book. Again, we've looked at the theme. We we realize that God's people, uh, they're doing that which is right in their own eyes. No real leadership. By the way, the king uh, that they should have desired was King Jesus. God should have been on the throne of their life. Obviously, as you go through the time, what eventually happens? They eventually come to Eli and then Samuel and the people. We want a king! So God gave them their king, Saul. Didn't work out as well as they initially thought, huh? Notice in uh, Judges chapter 2. Again, this is a summary. This is a summary basically of the whole book. Notice what we find in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Actually, let's back it up. Let me read it. Let me read it uh, from verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gosh. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. 
I'll stop there. You know, there's an ongoing, repeated pattern through the book of Judges. Hence the reason 12 judges in this study, 14 in total, because you'll find blessing, disobedience, chastening, repentance, deliverance, and the cycle repeats. Amazing! You would think God provides deliverers. And as long as the judge was alive, it seemed there was a half-hearted, as we'll, we'll, but, but somewhat of, of, of repentance. And again, was it because of the judge? Was it because of who they were? No. Because of who God is. Because God is merciful. Because God is gracious. And so He extends that grace to His people. And how does His people repay Him? They bowed to the gods around them. Forsook the true and living God so that blessing goes to disobedience and disobedience to chastening, repentance, deliverance, and so on and so on and so on. You know, it's interesting, I noted, I made a little comment here in this verse, this chapter here to... uh, Notice in verse 10. Again, you've got Joshua who's led victory into the... And here they are in the land. And we know that the people who served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and even the elders that outlived them, verse 7, they had seen all the great works which had been done for Israel. But after Joshua dies... After those elders had died out, verse 10 says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which He had done for Israel. You know what I wrote there in my Bible? Why? How? How does that happen? Why did they not know the Lord? Why did they not know the amazing work that God had done? Think about this, people. This this group had been delivered. They had crossed through, uh, I mean, coming out of the Exodus, the Red Sea, the miracles that were performed. These people witnessed this. This this is passed on to their children and to their children's children. God was a very intricate part of who they were. This is their life. So how is it that when Joshua dies and the elders that outlived that Joshua, when they died, how is it that this new generation does not know the Lord? They don't know His works. Because if you study Joshua, what are they constantly doing in Joshua? We're going to put these rocks here. This is for memory. Every time we see this, we'll remember God did it. Why? Why is it this generation now that's in the land? Why is it they don't know? I'll tell you why. 
It's the same reason why this generation that's upcoming doesn't know the Lord, the God that your grandparents knew. You see, you have a responsibility, parent. You have a responsibility, grandparent. And that is to teach your children the things of God. But I think we're a lot like the Israelites. We are forsaking our responsibilities. We're not raising godly homes and godly children as we should be. We've bowed to the gods around us. Haven't we? I mean, we're in a land of victory, aren't we? Home of the free and the brave. And our bountiful pleasures that are a gift from God. Are they growing to curses? Why? That's the question. You know, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is given for us as an example. You see, Community Baptist Church, I don't think it's too late for us. I don't think it's too late for us to turn the tide, if you will. Yeah, I've read the last chapter. I've I've read the, the last book. I know there's calamity coming. I know there's great wrath that's going to be poured out upon this world before all's said and done. But I also recognize that by God's grace, He's given us this day. And this is a day you and I can live for Him. This is a day that you and I can tell others about the ultimate judge. We can tell them about the King, King Jesus. These are some things I want us to think about as we go through this study. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, Judges is the book of incomplete victory. It is a book of failure on the part of God's people to trust His Word and claim His power. It's a failure on God's people to trust His Word and claim His power. Can I tell you what our problem is, church? We don't trust God's Word. I appreciate what Pastor Hightower talked about. Hey, if we don't believe this book, let's just go home. We're getting ready to go home. Yeah, we believe it. We do, we do, but... But do we believe it enough for it to transform us? I don't know if you, uh, any of you blog, but a friend of mine just finally, I, I fought it for years, but a friend of mine finally, he's, he's nudged me to blog. So I, I put my first blog up uh, recently, blogspot.com. And I reflected on this, this as I'm studying. And I put it out there for the web world to see. And it talks about waking. And, and I've talked about it a little bit here. 
but I, I feel sort of like sometimes spiritually we're, we're, we're asleep. We're in this hypnotic trance. We're just sort of here sometimes. You know how it is in the morning when you kind of, the alarm goes off, and I know none of you hit the snooze. <laughs> but for you snooze folks out there, by the way, worst thing ever created. I mean, let's just, let's find that guy, time up and stone him, all right? But the snooze. Now, I don't know, my wife's gotten a lot better about it, but used to, my wife would hit that thing about seven times. And I'd be like, honey, that's over an hour and ten minutes. You could have been sleeping. <laughs> But anyways, easy for me to say that she's not in here, but her parents are, yeah. <laughs> her dad will tell her. But you know, we hit that snooze alarm. And then the how it happens in our spiritual life, we get some wake-up calls, the alarm goes off, and we're awake for a moment. And then we fade back to sleep. Isn't that what happens spiritually sometimes? Maybe it's a wake-up call because of a death, a tragedy of a loved one. Maybe it's, it's such a thing as 9-11. Something happens that shakes us. And momentarily we see clearly we're awake from the dream. Church, I want us to wake. I want to awake. You should want to awake to the fullness of spiritual truth so that our lives are radical in how we live. Shouldn't we desire to see as God sees? Are we going to hear His Word? Are we going to claim the promises? Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. A lot of times when I travel and speak and I give my testimony, I I use Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Most folks stop there, but listen to verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You can't leave off verse 7. You see, for years of my life, I wasn't trusting in God. I was trusting in my own understanding. I wasn't fearing God in a healthy sense of fear, a healthy sense of reverence. I was too busy doing my own thing, living the way I understood to live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the more we know about God, the more we begin to understand who God is, the closer we draw to Him in our understanding, the more fearful we should become. The wiser we will will become. Because we begin to recognize our imperfection and we begin to see His glorious perfection we begin to recognize that our way of doing things falls short 
of the glory of God. And it causes me to be desperate for my need. There's repentance. That's what caused me to turn from my evil ways. Let me ask you this this morning, because I realize amongst the crowd this size, there are probably those who do not know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You've got God up here in your own understanding. You've created a God in your image. Not the God according to Scriptures. Your God is the God that's going to forgive no matter what's done. And you can still continue to do what you're doing and get away with it. And it's okay because God, in your mind, is just a loving God. So there's no need of repentance in my life. Yeah, I'll try to do better. I made some New Year's resolutions. I don't think anyone can say who's going to heaven. That's God's decision. If the Buddhist believes in Buddha, if the Muslim believes in Allah, if Confucius says this, let them be Confusa, because in my mind, it's all the same God. How am I doing? Does this sound like a lot of the God you've heard preached amongst some of your friends? That's a different God. It's not the God of Scripture. Can I implore you? Can I urge you? Can I beg you? That if you have never turned from your evil way. He said, well, wait a minute. Now, evil way, Pastor, that's a little much. I, I'm not out here murdering anybody. I ain't killed anybody. According to God's word, we have. Ever hated. Scriptures liken that to murder. Because, see, God looks on the heart of man. If you've ever hated someone, you're guilty. Ever lied? Never stolen anything. And we go through the moral law, we see this. And James says to offend God in just one point. We're guilty of all because we've broke the law. The ribbon's been cut, if you will. Once it's cut, well, I didn't cut it here, here, and here. The ribbon's cut. The law's broken. And we've broken it. We've transgressed against a holy and righteous God. We're guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. I always illustrate this when you've seen it done here before. Sometimes I'll pull somebody up out of the audience when I'm telling my testimony and I'll have a jumping contest and, and we'll have a jumping contest and see who can jump the furthest. And there's always some guy who's real prideful because he won. Ooh, yeah, get some of that, you know. And I'll say, okay, now we're going to take it outside to the Grand Canyon. You first, tough guy. Oops. No matter how far he jumps there, huh? Hey, right, Mark and Holly, y'all just went there and took some good pictures, right? Doesn't matter how far he jumps out there, he's not going to make it. Crash and burn. You see, we all fall short of the glory of God. You get in a jumping contest against God, you lose. 
You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. Guess what? I'm not either. We're imperfect people in need of perfection. That's why we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never turned from your sin. You've never acknowledged to God that you've broken His law and you're guilty and you recognize that if you die today in your guilt and your shame, you'll stand before a holy, perfect God and your sinfulness will be seen as it's never been seen before. Your shame will be revealed in the presence of light and holiness like it's never been revealed before. But it's eternally too late then. Yet God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, if you're willing to humble your heart before a holy God and say, God, forgive me, I have broken your law, I have transgressed against you, and I desperately need your perfection. I need your cleansing. I need your righteousness. He's provided you a way. That's why Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's us. And He promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to turn from this world and its wicked ways and turn from our shortfallings to the one whose whose perfection He provides, He wants to clothe you in His righteousness. He promises He will. So, maybe you're here today and you never come to that place. Can I encourage you to by faith today to turn and place your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He died 2,000 years ago on a cross for you and I. He paid the penalty we owe. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we'll by faith receive that gift... We can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus so that when we stand in the presence of a glorious and holy God, we stand robed in His righteousness. He doesn't see my imperfections. He doesn't see my evil and my wicked ways. But instead, He sees the perfection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. That's why Christ shed His blood. That's why He was buried. And that's why He rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures, victorious over death. He's the only means, the only way that you and I have to eternal life. He's the only one who can offer you the gift of salvation. The only one who can give you the forgiveness that you and I desperately need. He's the only one that it comes time to jump into eternity can carry us to the other side. Don't make that jump on your own. Make it with Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you that if you've not done that, let today be the day of salvation. You see, in Judges, as we'll discover in the days ahead as we study this, that God's people struggled with believing what God had said. One pastor said it this way, Joshua was crossing the river, conquering the enemy, 
and claiming the inheritance is what should have happened. And there's a spiritual application for us that by faith, we've sort of crossed the river, those of you who've put your faith in Jesus Christ. In a sense, haven't we entered into the victory of our Savior in in that we realize that victory? We should. And we should be reminded of the promises of God for believers. But instead, I think, church, sometimes we do just like God's people in the Old Testament did. We settle down with sin. Church member, have you settled down with sin? Are you comfortable in your sin? I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on complete dedication. I don't want to miss out on complete victory. You can have half-hearted victory, but not me. I want wholehearted victory. Do you know what half-hearted victory looks like? Look around at the American church. If you haven't picked up your copy of Radical, there's still a sign-up sheet on the table. I'd love for you to pick it up and read it. No doubt it'll challenge you. You know, I've picked up another book I'm just starting to read, and honestly, I'm a little bit concerned about reading it. In fact, the authors say at one point, um, if you don't want to be challenged in... The way you've always done church, don't read past this page. I don't know what this book's going to tell me. But I know what this book tells me. Pagan Christianity. Frank Viola and George Barna. Exploring the roots of our church practices. Why does the preacher preach a sermon at every service? Why do church services seem so similar week after week? Why does the congregation sit passively in pews? Not sure? This book makes an unsettling proposal. Most of what present-day Christians do in church each Sunday is rooted not in the New Testament, but in pagan culture and rituals developed long after the death of the apostles. Now, I don't know. I may trash this book after I read it. I'm not recommending you read it. because I, First off, I haven't read it. I don't know what it's going to say. But I can tell you this. Truth can't have holes poked in it. I think, church, we've done things too long with our own understanding. And I don't know about you, but I want to start understanding how to do things 
Thus saith the Lord. Will you join me on that journey? Even if it means radically changing the way we do things. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That makes a lot of us very uncomfortable. That's pastoral suicide. It is. I mean, think about it. For me to even say that, just, oh man, that just... Fingernails down the chalkboard of my heart. But church, I can tell you, you have a pastor, and please understand what I'm saying. I'm not worried about traditions of men. But I am deathly concerned with truth from God. And you know what? I believe at the heart of who you are, you are too. 